And we're live for the UFC 259 post-show. I'm John Pollock, joined as always by the Corey Hart of post-wrestling, the Lord of the Cord, Phil, wearing his sunglasses at night, chair talk. Well, it, it's it's been a long, long day, John. I got up pretty early. I didn't get a nap in. This is all stuff that you know about. And uh, rather than complain about, you know, the late card, which, uh, ha- you know, we always do. Uh, and, That's my you job. Know, <laughs> yeah. Instead of people dwelling on the bags under my eyes, I decided to just, you know, hide them a little bit. Yeah. You and I hit a new, a new low perhaps today when it comes to the aging process, because we, we compared napping notes, uh, this afternoon. I, I did sneak in like a 30 minute nap. Whoa, you the, you, you yeah. did not. So you're definitely tougher than I was. I was up at, was up at 7 a.m. You were up at what? Six? 530. 5.30. 5.30 today. But that's, look, that's, I, I went to, I go, I'm, a, I'm early to bed, early to rise. So I'm, it's not like I'm like struggling here. I mean, you've got a, a newborn that you have to deal with. Uh, it's just, uh, I normally get a nap in. I couldn't today because I had a lot going on, but I'm For not me, complaining. It's the mental side of it. Like I, I go to bed pretty much religiously now at 1 a.m. And then I wake up at seven and it's usually like, I'm just used to it. But today I woke up and like the first thing on my mind was I'm probably going to be up till at least 3 a.m. That was my immediate thought when I got up today. And I was just exhausted from the thought of that because I thought this card, if there's ever a card that's going to go late, 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 it would be this one. But you know what? We're we're here at a normal time, I would say, here on the Eastern time zone. And yeah, thank you, all. Amanda Nunez. <laughs> I, dude, Amanda Nunez was definitely caring about <laughs> getting our post show on at a, at a reasonable hour. I feel we're going to get a barrage of people from the UK who are going to remind us of how inconvenient these cards are for them. Uh, five hours <laughs> ahead of us, but that's, that's here we right. are UFC 259. This was a pretty loaded show on paper, Phil. And I would go outside of just the fact that we had three championship fights. There's a lot of depth to this card. And if you thought there were too many fights on this card, first of all is 15. Is that, are you just, Are you cool with whatever number is thrown out there? Do you feel like there is a cap that UFC should try and keep their pay-per-view cards to? Or were you just fine with the the lineup as it was tonight? Well, from uh, you're you're talking about the total 15-fight card. Just the total. Not so much the quality of the fights. Just the the sheer volume and time involved uh, for someone that wants to watch a whole card. And that's a significant chunk. (laughs) Well, I guess that it, it, it depends on your obsession. I mean, from, from the perspective of somebody who's trying to cover the event and pay as much attention as possible, I would prefer less fights because it's just so much to absorb. But as a fan, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting to turn on the TV at five o'clock in the afternoon and have fights going on. So. Uh, and you don't have to pay attention to them if you don't want. You go out, you come back, you you eat. You know, it, it, it's it's sort of like a Sunday. Football's on all day. So uh, I, I don't think that there really needs to be a cap on the amount of fights because the, it's for the fans to choose. But as somebody who who's trying to cover it, it's difficult. And I imagine the, the completionists like uh, our very own Eric, uh, it, it's a bit challenging. Eric was the MVP tonight. Because usually on these pay-per-view nights, they are the most stressful for me. Not so much talking to you, Phil. That that comes with its own stresses, but they're manageable. But when I'm doing like the notes that I'm taking for our show, while I'm also manning the website, like, dude, my I'm just like nonstop moving and typing for the entire duration. There's no break in between the fights. I'm like typing up. It's just the worst. So tonight, Eric took over the report. It was such a more relaxed way to watch a pay-per-view. I got very spoiled tonight by this, though. Off the top, a major thank you to Eric Marcotte. Well, you know, he didn't skip a beat in the Discord. Uh, like, he, you know, he's always he's, uh, a stable in there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, he's continuing uh, the Iron Man. He's the Cal Ripken of of the post world with his his watching of every single UFC fight including Dana White contender series so it's very impressive. Well let's uh chat about the card tonight as i mentioned 15 fights and we're going to start off with the main event Jan Blahovich retaining the UFC light heavyweight championship defeating Israel Adesanya who was coming up as the middleweight champion and 
I guess, what were your impressions, Phil, on Friday, uh, seeing both men weigh in? We had uh, Jan Blahovich coming in at 220 uh, and Adesanya at just over 200 pounds, 200.5 pounds, well below the the weight limit at light heavyweight. And I think a lot of that, he kind of alluded to it in his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan, was not being worried about the size so much as not compromising his speed, his technique, which he felt was going to be necessary in this fight and not uh, giving that away for size. But there was certainly a size discrepancy in this fight. Yeah, I didn't really have a problem with it because it was such a short notice turnaround. Uh, I actually agree with the philosophy that you should be fighting as comfortable as you normally fight, right? You want to try to fight at your best. So if you put on a bunch of weight, you're not used to fighting like that. Now, if you're going to take a serious run at uh, another weight class and move up for the long term, then it makes a lot of sense to take the time, put on the weight properly and prepare yourself for those bigger fighters, like we're seeing John Jones do right now. I've already mentioned John Jones. Can you believe it? Yes, put that down. Well, I, <laughs> I was going to bring him up myself. Like you're looking at, you know, for for years that was always like George St. Pierre's um, internal discussion was if he were to ever move up a weight class, like it would take significant work uh, to go up there. And you're talking about a George St. Pierre moving up 15 pounds, the jump from middleweight to light heavyweight. It's insane that you're talking about 20 pounds and fighting guys that are going to be walking into the cage 220 minimum, probably, that that you're looking at. And that's going to be a big question mark about John Jones whenever we see his heavyweight debut is so much of what made him dynamic at 205 pounds. How much of that are you compromising going up to heavyweight against guys that could very well be 265 pounds that are going to have that power and what John Jones, can he still just go around these guys in, in circles or is he going to be a more limited version of himself? It's always those questions when you're seeing the smaller guy move up in weight versus going down in weight. Yeah, but it appears like uh, Jones, you know, he's going for a run, it seems, or at least, I mean, he's, he's putting in the work, right? It's, it's not a mm-hmm. quick, quick trip up. Uh, right to to whatever to make a statement and look, Izzy was competitive in this fight, right? I mean, we we you know we you haven't gone through the to the the fight yet, so uh you know we're already alluding to the weight making a difference in the fight, but it it, it was close until the weight sort of made a difference, you know. Yeah, I think this one was a competitive fight up until the final two rounds. Um, I I mean, early on we saw. Izzy using a lot of feints and just really the first two rounds, it was a lot of sizing up one another. Um, but you saw Blahovich as he was starting to see Adesanya's game, especially in the second round, starting to attack. And I, I, I thought Blahovich had, you know, largely, I won't say figured out Adesanya, but I think he certainly found his rhythm by the second round. The the third round, I'm kind of interested to see how, how you scored this fight. I mean, I gave it to Adesanya. It was mainly this left hand that he kind of stunned Blahovich with. But I didn't think this was as like slam dunk of a round, but it was a round I ended up giving to Adesanya. Yeah, so the third round, well, okay, I guess I can go through the rounds up to that point. So the first round, super close. Uh, I actually gave that round to Jan. Um, I just found that it, Izzy was doing lots of feints and, you know, the commentators were happy to mention how much uh, biting on the feints Jan was doing, but Israel didn't throw as much. In the second, he actually picked up the volume and so I gave him that round. That round was super close as well. So, like, these are razor thin rounds. Yeah. And then in the I, I thir- thought two was very, very close. Yeah. And then the third round, which is the round you're talking about, is uh, I thought... I gave this one to Adesanya, and it was also, it just felt like he was flowing at this point. Like, it wasn't just volume. He he was actually connecting. It wasn't clean all the time, and, and Jan was answering here or there, but it you got the feeling that he was taking over in the striking department. Okay, so after three rounds, you had it 2-1 for Blahovich. I had it 2-1 no. for... I had it 2-1 for Adesanya. I gave him the second and the third. I gave Blahovich the first. Oh, you gave him the second and the third. Okay, so yes. anyway, we had the same score then. We both had it uh, two to one for Adesanya, just Got different it. rounds. I gave Adesanya one and three. You gave him two and three. Correct, yeah. 
fourth round is when Blahovich introduces his wrestling. And this is kind of where early on he hit him with this right hand and then immediately followed with a jab. And as Adesanya goes to throw, he's taken down and Blahovich is active. He gets to half guard, then he would move to, to side control. And it was enough to really, I would say, sway the momentum of the fight. And in total, Blahovich would uh, go three for five on his takedowns, but these were key ones in the fifth. Uh, you know, Jan was definitely tired. You could see that the effort of taking down Adesanya and riding him on top uh, took a bit out of him. But right as it got to the midpoint of the fifth round, he shoots for that takedown and gets it, moves to half guard and is completely controlling Adesanya. He ended up mounting him near the end, ending very strong with strikes. So very hard to argue four and five as clear cut rounds for Jan Blahovich. So after the fight, I had it. I added three rounds to two for Blahovich. I gave him two, four, and five with one and three going to Adesanya. I imagine you had it uh, the same? Yeah. Three, three rounds to two in the sense of what your overall score was. Yeah, the, what you described uh, happening in the in the fourth and fifth, exactly. Uh, you know, it, again, similar to the rest of the fight, the, the it was close with, I think, Izzy having the technical edge, but Jan still landing power shots. And then the takedowns just solidified it. And really, it was, you know, the takedown into half guard. Uh, Jan would just secure uh, underhook on the far side. And then Izzy would, would really just sort of, he just explode into new positions. And Jan would just sort of like full Nelson him or half Nelson him back down and, and turn him around. He just completely had his number, at least from a control standpoint, on the ground. Okay, so we got the judges' scorecard. So these are interesting. First of all, the official scores were 49-46 and then two 49-45s for Jan Blahovich, meaning that the 49-45s, that included a 10-8 round. I didn't go 10-8. I'm pretty liberal with my 10-8s, but I, I did not give the fifth. And in fact, that is the round that two of the judges gave it 10-8. Uh, I'm not going to argue it. Like, it was a fairly... Strong round for Blahovich. I would argue it was the strongest round of the five that either had. Yeah, and he definitely finished with an exclamation point. You know, like right. he, he put a stamp on that. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not as liberal as you with the ten eights, and I didn't give it uh, one here. But I don't. It's not the worst score. So the first judge, Derek Cleary, gave rounds one, two, four, and five to Blahovich with the ten eight round in the fifth. So he only gave Adesanya the third. Uh, Sal Diamato gave one, two, four, and five to Blahovich. They were all 10 nines. And Sal then, Diamato, the savior of the evening. My goodness. And yeah, he would have had uh, your scorecard. Sal? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, I had, uh, yeah, I had three to two. Three to two. But Sal was the savior in another fight that had also had some bad judging. So um, that's why I made the comment. And he's not normally one that we recognize as being one of the great judges of the game. Uh, and then the last judge here had one, three, four, and five for Blahovich. So a little discrepancy in those middle rounds with rounds two and three. But um, everyone was in all three judges were in agreement about round one for Blahovich and then four and five for Blahovich as well. So some, some scores differed for two and three. That's where the uh, any arguments can uh, exist. But I think there was nobody really arguing that Adesanya lost this fight. He stated afterwards he's going to go back to middleweight, but he said he plans to return to light heavyweight. This is not a one and done that he wants to continue to explore this weight class in the future. And I guess that will ultimately depend on what contenders emerge at 185 pounds for him and how interesting it is there for him. I think that there, there are some fights at 185, but I guess you're looking at 205. What is learned from this fight? This guy certainly was not outclassed. It's not like he didn't look like he did not belong in this weight class. It wasn't one of those cases, but um, it is one where you go back to the drawing board and maybe reassess what did not work here. And for your immediate future, do you stay consistent with 185 and then make the decision like we just talked about with a John Jones making the concerted effort that when you move up to light heavyweight next is a permanent one? Yeah, I mean, as you said, he was he, he was very competitive here, and I mean, he was competitive against the champion. 
Um, and minus those, and it wasn't even just the takedowns because he defended takedowns well in this fight. It was just that inability to get up. So that's really what he has to figure out and has to decide how long it's going to take to f- solve that problem if he wants to go up to 205 on the regular, because there's going to be other guys who are going to be just as heavy, who are good wrestlers, who are going to try to grind on him. I mean, he still did well, even with Big Boy on, on top of him. It's just that those last two rounds, he, he just, he didn't have enough. I, I do think he didn't have enough technique. It seemed like he was a little lost down there. So I, I'm, I don't want to say it was the size because he wasn't even that tired. He had a lot of energy. Like it made a difference, but I still feel he could have done better with what he had. So looking at the light heavyweight picture, it would seem to point to Glover Teixeira as the next likely contender. I don't think that uh, the winner of Alexander Rakic and Tiago Santos uh, produced the next contender after their performance tonight. <laughs> no, it's a little far off. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get to that. Um, (laughs) Well, we're going to blitz through this next title fight because there's a whole lot to talk about. Amanda Nunez was a Mack truck, and she steamrolled Megan Anderson in two minutes and three seconds of their women's featherweight title fight. And this was, I don't know if a fight has ever started so quickly where you knew it was over almost instantaneously. I mean, she lands this right hand, and it was with such force that you knew that's it. It's over. And Nunez at least uh, made two minutes and three seconds out of this. She followed oh, and two wobbled minutes. Anderson. It was not looking good. And then she just tees off with left jabs. Like Nunez could have had a blindfold on. She was not missing her target. Everything was connecting. Anderson goes down, ground and pound. She's going for a triangle, then a triangle arm bar as Anderson taps out. And Amanda Nunez dominates this fight her 12th consecutive victory and my favorite exchange afterwards was joe rogan asking what are the rankings at 145 and john anik responded uh there are none and cormier (laughs) says there are no rankings at 145 (laughs) dude this is you can call the maid because this division has been cleaned out I don't know what the future of this featherweight division is. Um, I mean, people are throwing out the names of, um, you know, a a Juliana Pena coming up to 145 pounds. I don't know if Juliana Pena would rather campaign for a bantamweight fight as opposed to that. Largely, what you have is any female at 135 pounds that wanted to raise their arm to move up to 145 pounds probably is a decent shot of getting a title fight. That's where this division is because it's empty. Yeah. Or even uh, women outside of the UFC. I know that it's, it's, it's not that, uh, you know, deep of a a pool out there. Um, You know, Kayla Harrison, unfortunately is unavailable. I mean, that's the, that's the name, right? That's the one you want to do now. Um, but who's not even fighting at 145? I mean, she that's right. Like, she would, they would need to figure that out, right? Like, and, and, you know, she said she's committed to trying to make that. Um, but I don't know if she's ever made that way. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a kind of crappy situation, but, uh, you know, the, we've seen this before. I mean, Cyborg was kind of in this spot for a really long time. Now she wasn't in the UFC, but there was even a period when the UFC didn't have, uh, female fighters. And she was pretty much mowing through anybody that they put in front of her. So I could see, you know, her continuing on with just a bunch of, you know, jobbers as they uh, like to, as uh, you know, they say in the other half of your industry. Yeah, not much more to say about this fight other than with Amanda Nunez, Um, you know, not not the pressure to uh, take a title off of her. I think that you can still market her as this double champion. It's just the featherweight fights, I think, are going to be few and far between unless you make a real concerted effort to build up this division by just finding featherweights that are out there because it's completely barren at at this point. But uh, that said, quick title fight. Yeah, I don't think you have to... I don't think you have to drop a title at all. I think the, 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 the 
shine is she's the double champ and she's cleaned out the division. So she just walks around all the time with two belts, no contenders. And uh, that's the gimmick. It's just like the expectation is she's just going to smash through all these people until one day somebody surprises us. Maybe not. The most controversial fight of the night was uh, oh. Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling for the UFC bantamweight title. I thought up until the end, this was a great fight. I thought that this was um, Aljamain Sterling came out of the gates and he was, I mean, he was looking fantastic, but it was a pace that he was setting that you didn't figure he could keep up. But my God, was he busy with his kicks, his jabs. He was throwing this flying knee that connected with Jan and then got a takedown off of the cage. And you're thinking, oh my God, the takedown, he was able to get it so easily. This was his only takedown uh, because on his next 13 attempts, he would be thwarted. And then in the middle of this round, Jan just drops him with his right hand and Jan takes over at this point. He sweeps the leg. He's kicking at the body, lifts and just dumps Sterling down onto the mat. It was enough for me to... I uh, think that Jan pulled this round out. Did you think that he did enough to take this round, or did you think that Sterling won the first? I gave the first round to Sterling, but it was I was very torn on it. Again, it, it just felt like Sterling was busier, and and then but by the end of the round, it had sort of turned in Jan's favor, and is like so. I, I still gave it to Sterling just because of the activity, but yeah, he was. The, he was doing what Jan does. He finds ways to win rounds and he does it at the end of rounds. And he, he going into this fight, I'm, I'm sitting thinking, this is one of the smartest fighters in the game. This is high, one of the highest IQ fighters in the game. Jan, Pete, Peter Jan. That it was a completely fair. Assigned to Piotr Jan in rounds one, two, three, and would be compromised in the fourth. We will get there. Uh, second round, a lot of clinching from Sterling. Um, Sterling uh, landed another knee and was throwing strikes. I thought a very close round. This was a round I did give to Sterling, so I had it even up. You know what? I'm, I'm, I misread my notes. I gave the first round to Jan because of the drop. And then the Sterling, I gave the second round. Uh, so... Yeah, it was. They oh were God. all cool. Okay. They, they everybody, were everybody out there, put on a put on a seatbelt and hold on tight. Phil and I agreed on 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 scoring these rounds. Okay, this so, is a shock. <laughs> yes, we had so identical it, scorecards. Wow. Well, we'll see what happens in the third and fourth. I mean, what do you think happened in the fourth? Well, I, I don't think these were as contentious because at this point, um, Sterling was definitely feeling the effects of these first two rounds. It was Jan controlling the pace. This guy is just an outstanding defensive fighter. Um, had these leg sweeps that was sending Sterling down to the mat and just landing these clean shots. Sterling would repeatedly go to his back. So, so Sterling got his legs attacked. Um, the third round to me was the easiest round to score so far uh, for Jan. Into the fourth, Sterling is just walking in and eating these shots. And it looks like Jan is just pulling away. The only question is, is he going to stop this guy or are they actually going to go 25 minutes? This is where they bring up the stat that Sterling is one for 14 on his takedowns. Sterling is tired and doing all these like spinning back fists and stuff that have no pop behind them. So he's getting caught each time. It's really falling apart for Aljamain Sterling. So with Aljamain Sterling down on one knee, Piotr Jan gives what I can best describe to our wrestling audience that is listening would be a uh, a no-grip kamagoye to the head. And this thing was brutal. Sterling's head popped back like he was a Pez dispenser. It was a nasty, nasty knee. And Mark Smith is immediately uh, concerned here for Sterling. And the fight is waved off and it was like debated here for some time. It's not like it was this automatic. The fight is over. Like they were really looking here at Sterling to see, I understand this is a pressure situation. The guy's in a championship fight and you don't want to make a rash decision, but a rash decision would have been continuing this fight. He had no business continuing to fight. He was totally messed up. Yeah, it, it was, it was, 
It was different than the Anthony Smith situation that was it was compared to, right? Because the note that I mean, maybe you want to maybe you want to summarize what transpired here, and then we can talk about that and how it compares and doesn't compare. So, I mean, it's it's a clear illegal knee, and Mark Smith had warned him that he was down, and Jan still delivered the knee. So based on that, like, because it was so late in the fight, your options are it's you go to the scorecards and had they done, like, if he had not ruled it intentional, he could have gone to the scorecards. And in that scenario, which we learned, Jan would have retained the title because he was ahead on two of the three judges scorecards. However, because he deemed it intentional, it was a disqualification. And on a disqualification, that means that the title changes hands. And Aljamain Sterling is the new bantamweight champion. Uh, it was called at 429 of the fourth round. You have never seen a man more upset that he won a championship than Aljamain Sterling. He was furious. Uh, for all we know, I uh, has not officially been stated, but I would have to imagine there's a very high probability he has a concussion. And then he was interviewed after, which seemed completely unnecessary and just an unfortunate end, but also one where it was the only decision you could make. Um, now, Khabib Nurmagomedov had been out, and this came out on the broadcast that he had heard Jan's corner stating to hit him when he had yeah, when he was down on one knee. Jan later spoke to ESPN and said he did not hear his corner give him that mm. instruction. So he he delivered the knee. I mean, Jan screwed up. That's what it comes down to. And it cost him his championship, which I can only think the only option is to run this fight back. I can't see any other bantamweight fighting for this title before Piotr Jan does. So that's the outcome I see of this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Aljamain was out. It should have been stopped. It was stopped. It should have been stopped. It probably should have been stopped earlier. They were letting it go quite a while, but, uh, it was the right call. Um, in regards to the title changing hands, you know, it's like the title is actually just awarded to the winner of the fight. So, and it's all, it's actually a new title and it's just a promotional thing anyway. So the rules of who gets it under what circumstances are just sort of laid out in the fight contract. So the winner of the fight gets the title. That's Aljamain. And it's deserved in that regard. Now, why I want to compare this to the Anthony Smith situation is because everybody was like saying, oh, Anthony Smith, you made the wrong decision. You should have just, you know, I can't continue and, and take the fight, take the title and, you know, you'll get more money in the rematch and all that. You know, you're thinking about your family. All that's true. Sure. You're thinking about your family, but you're, if you can continue, you should continue. And Al Jermain couldn't continue. And so he shouldn't, and the fight should have been stopped, right? Like, it shouldn't be based on, does the fighter think he should continue? It's, 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 it's like, can you continue or not? It shouldn't be like, oh, I got hit with an illegal shot. I'm going to stop it. The, the judge, the doctor is there to determine if you can or can't. So, uh, it, it was different in that regard, but the right call happened here. And, um, yeah, they got to run it back. It's the only thing that makes sense. I mean, Jan was doing amazing in this fight. He was really putting it on him. Yeah. As we said, the, the judges scorecards after three rounds, two of them had it 29, 28 for Jan and one had it 29, 28 for Sterling. So had they gone to the scorecards, Jan would have retained the title, but you run this fight back. I, I liken this to when Vitor Belfort won the light heavyweight title. And for those that don't remember this fight, it was from UFC 240, or sorry, from UFC 46 uh, back in 2004. And Vitor Belfort had thrown a punch and then part of his glove like sliced the eyelid of Randy Couture and it had exposed his eyeball. And they brought the doctor in, Margaret Goodman, to check, and he could not continue. And it was ruled a TKO win for Vitor Belfort. It wasn't uh, It wasn't like he had done something intentionally to cause this, but he ends up winning the title under, you know, you know, a certainly uh, shrouded circumstances. And then they just ran the the fight back that that August, and Randy won the belt back. But a very uh, not a common occurrence when it comes to championships changing hands like this. 
you know, I mean, there's a, the blessing in disguise is, you know, this was an incredibly exciting fight. And I think people will want, really want to see this one uh, uh, again. So this is going to, I wouldn't be surprised if this is headlining a card. You have a story to come back and a reason for the rematch. So I think for, for that very reason, um, that, that this makes all the sense in the world. Like you can't, to me, um, even a Corey Sanhagen, I, or especially a TJ Dillashaw, like I put all of that on ice until you redo this fight. I think that's the only logical fight to make. It's just, this is actually works out better for the division minus, I mean, you've got Sanhagen who was like, you know, he just still, it wasn't that long ago he lost to, to Aljamain. And yep. so you've got that. And he wants to fight TJ. And TJ should be coming back. And, you know, you can't really put him right in the title shot, even though that's what Jan was looking for. So you can do Sanhagen versus Dillashaw. You've got Cruz now, who's back in the mix. So it's, it's, a, it's a really good, uh, it actually, I think it... it it's a horrible outcome that no one wanted, but I think it will actually benefit the division in, in, over the course of the year. What if they just go with Jose Aldo? <laughs> uh, then we all win. <laughs> uh, Islam Makachev defeated Drew Dober. Defeat might not be a strong enough uh, statement. This was an unbelievable per- performance from Makachev, and more so... Because Drew Dober is a quality fighter, and he dominated this guy. I had two 10-8 rounds, Phil, before Dober was submitted in the third round. Uh, Makachev just got numerous takedowns, was so aggressive, uh, moving from half guard to mount. He, This guy just flowed controlling this guy. He used his neon belly into side control. Just everything he did, it just was seamless from one thing to the next. And you've heard so many stories about Makachev from those that have trained with him and his comparisons to Khabib and just the strength that he possesses for a lightweight. And, you know, we've seen him. He's, it, this isn't like his uh, uh, coming out party. He's seven and one in the UFC, but I feel this one being on a big pay-per-view and he hadn't fought since September of 2019, that this reinserted him into that lightweight mix in a big way. And I just think this guy was one of the major stories coming out of 259. I 100% agree on this stat card. He was actually the person I was most looking forward to seeing fight. We were supposed to see him in the main event in... I don't know if it was 2019 or 2020 where he was supposed to fight Rafael Dos Anjos. That didn't happen. Twice. Twice. Yeah. That, that, he, he was supposed to have three fights last year, and they all fell apart. He was having Alexander Hernandez one, and then twice they tried to book him with RDA, and they fell apart. So 2020 mm. was a write-off for him. Yeah. So uh, I, I and, and also at the same time, you know, Habib was still around and champion. And so that, that was never going, you know, he's like, he, he was going to back off until the time was right. So now Habib's gone. Uh, you know, it's it. There's a there's quite a few guys ahead of him at the top of the division, but I think he's ready to be r- right inserted at the tail end of that group, and I want to see him given a chance to to you know jump the line a little bit. Uh, what did you think about this submission at the end? He's going for like this arm triangle, and it's using his shoulder pressure that ends up submitting Dober at one thirty seven of the third round. I mean, th- this was just a magnificent performance. So, okay. So there was a lot of things leading up to that, just the way he would. Uh, so w- one way you control people on the ground, whether it's side control or half guard is with an underhook on the far side and his ability to control that underhook on the far side. We saw that in the main event, uh, was tremendous. And he would always pass, like he would pass very, uh, smoothly with his hips very heavy. So even when he would break the guard and move to either mount or neon belly, as you mentioned, it, there was no space at any point for Drew Dober. And Drew Dober was trying. Like he wasn't a fish out of water. He just, it just the skill level was so much greater. And then that submission at the end, that shoulder pressure choke, that's something that top players can get, but it's when your level is like, you know, it's like multiple levels upon a guy. Like when it's competitive, you a shoulder pressure choke like that. No arm triangle. Yeah, you can get that on anybody with placement. But just that squeeze uh, is 
very impressive, more impressive than I even anticipated in terms of the grappling. And yeah, like I said, I want to see him in there with 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 uh, a decent name. Well, the name he threw out after when he was interviewed, I love this idea, is Tony Ferguson. I mean, that... He couldn't do the fight with Khabib. It's Islam who gets the win, or at least gets the fight with Tony Ferguson. I like that fight a lot. Yeah, I mean, I was in the Discord, I was mentioning, so the three names I thought, so Dos Anjos was the most ideal one, but then I forgot that it was two cancellations. So you don't want to go there again. Ferguson makes sense for the storyline of, you know, Habib never got the fight. So it's sort of like Islam getting that fight. And I really like the idea of Paul Felder. You know, he's coming off of some losses, but they were close and he he's a name. And I, I think that would be a really exciting fight and beating him would be a statement, too. So I, I would pick one of those three. We've got Eric complaining somewhere, but I'm not going to I'm not, you know, that's OK, Eric. You're right. The rest of the time. Not on this one. Uh, two notes here from the uh, press conference afterwards with Dana White. Uh, this is from Aaron Bronstetter. Uh, Dana White stating that Glover Teixeira is the top contender at 205 pounds and that Aljamain Sterling went to the hospital after the fight and he was cleared. So that is the good. update That's on good. those two. Those are both good. Well, this next fight wasn't. Tiago Santos <laughs> versus Alexander Rakic. It went three rounds. Rakic won by unanimous decision. Uh, I thought Rockich won the first two rounds and Santos won the third. And afterward, I don't think Rockich put himself anywhere closer to a title fight. This was very dull. Yeah, it was very dull. The most interesting part was, was after the fight, Rockich went over to Dana, was sort of like pointing at him and yelling, I guess, saying how he's going to be something and whatever. Not the type of performance, you know. No, that usually that, that. You, you can't be pointing fingers when you put in a performance like this. And I saw this, this was, a couple of times. He just no sells. Well, yeah, Ari Dana Emanuel. brought this up after. Apparently, apparently, Blahovich went up to Dana after and said, "You never believed in me." Oh, really? <laughs> but but Ari Emanuel sitting there too, and they all ignore him. They don't even know who Ari Emanuel is. It's like that's the boss's boss, and <laughs> uh, Dominic Cruz was the one. He's like he like fist bumps Dana, and it's like, oh, Ari, you're here too. Okay, sure, guys, who signs the checks? Yeah, I mean, there isn't a whole lot to break down from from this fight. It was just you know two guys that were extremely cautious with one another, and it was just, like really, Tiago Santos won that last round based on like a kick to the body and a bit more, a bit more offensive output than than Rockich, but I mean this was a fight that just didn't do either any favors. And for Tiago Santos, this is his third straight loss. Granted, that's John Jones, Glover Teixeira, but Rockich. It's unfortunate though that, you know, after that incredible performance against John Jones, it's now going to be discussed like how much did those that double knee surgery have on Santos, who finds himself further down that light heavyweight pack and he's 37 years old. That's a tough age to be at to turn things around and get back to a, a championship shot. I would say he's put himself pretty much behind that opportunity now. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, for a while he was relying on the fact that he was a very exciting fighter, but this was the opposite of that. So, um, you know, when it, you're no longer exciting and you're no longer able to compete at the highest level, that's, uh, not a good recipe. Uh, into the televised prelims, it was headlined by Dominic Cruz winning a split decision over Casey Kenny. Um, this was a very competitive fight. Some very close rounds. I could have seen the scores going uh, many different ways. I did score all three rounds for uh, Dominic Cruz. How did you score the fight? I scored all three rounds for Dominic Cruz with the second round. I, I thought that was like a coin flip. Like, uh, yeah. I don't really have a good reason. Wait, mate, what did I write? Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't have any particular reason why I chose Cruz, just because I like him more. Maybe I don't know. Feel I mean, the questions me. coming into this fight, like we had last seen Cruz in the Henry Cejudo fight last year, was you know he's about to turn thirty six. Would any of his speed be diminished? His footwork? I mean, he is to me. I don't know if we'll see Dominic Cruz make a campaign to, for another championship at bantamweight, but he's certainly going to be up there in that mix. He certainly showed me enough here against a, a really good opponent in, in Casey Kenny. This guy was 
had an incredible schedule last year. He fought four times. He fought twice in October of last year. And he, he looked good here. I, I, I was really impressed with Dom in this fight, actually. I mean, I thought he fought really well. He, he had great movement. He had great timing. He has this ability to, he has a few shots where he, the setup is so hidden because the setup is like some move. Like he'll dip to the right or shuffle to the right, and that's his movement. And then sometimes instead of dipping and moving, he just throws his right hand and he lands it all the time. It's not a super powerful shot, but it catches you off guard. Also, he had uh, Casey, uh, Kenny just whiffing air at points. Like it was, uh, yeah. you know, Ronda Rousey moment type uh, in the first. So, you know, it was little moments that like that. It's just, you know, vintage cruise. And at the same time, you know, there was moments where he had to get in it. You know, he had to go and, and trade blows one for one. And he was right there in that, too. On top of that, he showed great fight IQ like he always has. I thought it was a tremendous performance. And, yeah, I want to see him in there with, with, with somebody at the top. And I'm okay with him making a run. Uh, you know, you give him one guy, you know, somebody near the top, and he beats him. Yeah, give him a title shot. Well, he's looking for a monster fight coming up because he then <laughs> oh, proceeded no. to have one of the this. oddest post-fight interviews in UFC history where he was given we're, – we're fighting the clock because they're about to go to the pay-per-view. And he goes on this long explanation about why he wants to fight Hans Molenkamp. And this led to however many people were watching the UFC prelims to Google Hans Molenkamp. Did you know who Hans Molenkamp – was did you know who this uh, guy no, was i i did not i literally had I to look this guy up i had no uh, clue either an executive with, with monster energy and dominic cruz is explaining how th he holds people's contracts hostage joe rogan hears the word hostage and he's immediately thinking this is uh some political figure and cruz informs him no this isn't political he's part <laughs> of monster energy which to remind everybody, it's like one of the major sponsors of the UFC whose logo is at the center of the canvas. So not since Brock Lesnar has a fighter taken to task a sponsor uh, with their allotted post-fight interview time. This was so bizarre. It was it was so bizarre. I didn't understand it. And then when people were explaining this character, who's just like some type of tough guy posting videos with fighters, it's like it. I like I couldn't tell if it was like a work at some point. It seemed like are, is he trying to like work with this guy to build some promotional event? But like he sounded very mean and angry about it. I don't know. Maybe he'll explain in the post conference but it's like of all the people to call out i okay sure hans molman really out there and just a weird moment of the night song yadong versus kyler phillips um kyler phillips looked very impressive in this fight song yadong has like quietly had a very good run at bantamweight he's 5-0-1 in the ufc and he's only 23 years of age teams with team alpha male uh but phillips here uh he immediately hit this right head kick and I was most impressed with this guy's footwork and his ability to just uh, just get, work up his power. And he was just so economical with his movement, his striking. Like, he was so crisp on his feet. Uh, he won the first two rounds. I gave the third to uh, Song Yadong, who connected with a left hook during this exchange and just kind of increased his, his output. Um so I had a 29-28 for Kyler Phillips, and that's what all three judges had. But I thought a very good performance from Phillips. Yeah, very, very good performance. Uh, Yadong's excellent, and he showed skills in this fight. There was moments where it looked like he could have had an opportunity to turn it. Uh, Phillips, was, you know, who was very crisp early on, would have moments where he would dip. And Yadong had a lot of power, but ultimately Phillips uh, had enough creativity and skill to take the first two rounds. And I gave Yudong the third as well, but it was too little, too late. Oscar Oscarov defeated Joseph Benavidez by unanimous decision. The Oscar Oscarov. That is right. The Oscar Oscarov. <laughs> uh, tough fight to watch if you're a Joseph Benavidez fan because he lost every minute of this fight. Um, Oscarov just had... I mean, he just felt like he was at a different level than Joseph Benavidez, who... 
it just seemed to me, Phil, like, especially late, you saw him just kind of throwing everything. But even in the early going, it just seemed like he was not the regular disciplined striker that you had come to associate with, with Joseph Benavidez. And Oskarov was the much more patient one. And it just seemed that he was able to take Benavidez down many, many times, just slamming him down, um, was just controlling him on top with a body triangle. And Benavidez had no answers for Oskarov. So I thought these were three very easy. You know, to be honest, I gave the second one a 10-8 for Oskarov. So I had it 30-26. Yes, I did as well. It was completely, yeah, complete domination. Uh, I I think the the thing with Benavidez is when he fights somebody who's a more technical striker than him, it's pure relying on those looping in and getting out because he, he he doesn't really have he's always been sort of like a looping fighter. He's very skilled, but uh, here it was just the technique difference was too high and he wasn't going to out wrestle him either. It, it, it was tough to watch. He's outmatched pretty much everywhere in this fight. Yeah. Um you know, for Benavidez, it's his third loss in a row. Uh, the previous two were to Devison Figueredo. And one unfortunate part of this, like the, the narrative coming out of this will be a three fight losing streak for Benavidez. Two of those three fights are opponents that miss weight, including Oscarov. Mm. Um, which, you know, when, when a fighter, um, accepts a fight with someone that misses weight, they don't really get credit for that. It just goes down as a loss. I always think it's very unfortunate because, that fighter made weight and why should they have to give up their chance to get their win bonus and fight the next day? Um, you're kind of in a corner where you're pressured to basically take the fight. Um, but for Benavidez, I mean, we're coming off Junior Dos Santos and Alistair Overeem being cut. Uh, Joseph Benavidez, that's going to be the discussion after this. Does he get one more fight in the UFC or is he going to be viewed upon as a guy that's 36 years old? He's not going to fight for the championship again. What is he contributing to the division if he is not going to be a championship contender? He's only someone that could knock off potential contenders. Yeah, I think it's it, it's a tough spot for him uh, because of that fact that he is still very good and he can knock off contenders. And there are quite a few contenders in this division. It's actually really exciting time for it. Um, so, I, 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 there are maybe a couple fights out there for him at the bottom of the the you know the top ten or just outside of it. But uh, I could see the UFC parting ways with him just to avoid that fact of fact of him you know possibly knocking off uh, prospects. It's it's such an interesting career to look at if you follow Joseph Benavidez from the WEC onto UFC and you. Like in a in a different scenario, in a in a world where Demetrius Johnson does not come to the UFC or like Joseph Benavidez very well could have been the dominant flyweight of the past decade, if not for Demetrius Johnson. Like he was to me, he was like the number two flyweight, and it was he could not beat Demetrius Johnson. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and the first fight was pretty competitive. It, it was just the fact that that second fight was such a brutal finish. He was never going to get a chance to get back there. And, you know, look, he, he got chances at the belt and, you know, he got two chances. He he got, what, three, he got multiple, four like he chances. Got, so he got the Figueredo fights this year, yeah. he had the two with Demetrius Johnson. It's like, you know, it, it, you can't say that he did not have his opportunities. He Yeah, did. yeah. It's it, it's sort of like the Stephen Wonderboy Thompson thing. It's like you've spent fifty minutes trying to be champion and you couldn't do it. It's like I yeah you kind of deserve to be up there, but it's like you had your chance and didn't do it. So tough tough for Joseph B. But it, it, these you know he he's gone out brutally in some of uh, his losses. So this one you know it wasn't so bad, um, but uh, yeah uh, tough to see what the future holds for him in the UFC. And the televised prelims opened up with this wild fight, Rogerio Bontarin versus Kai Cara France. And this fight was insane. Bontarin was like, it looked like this fight was over. He, it, he gets him to the ground and applies this deep body triangle. And Cara France is defending and is able to break it. Bontarin brings him right back down to the mat, applies this deep rear naked choke. Car France still fights it. 
He's doing all this hand fighting to escape. And then they get back to their feet. They've literally just uh, brought in the ESPN uh, feed because they uh, a game had run late. And as soon as John Anik welcomes the ESPN crowd, boom, Carl France lands this right hand, an uppercut, another right hand as Bontarine goes down. And Herb Dean like comes in to grab Carl France. And you're not quite sure if he's called the fight, but he has. And Carl France is dominated for about four minutes and 40 seconds and then turns it around in 15 seconds and wins this fight at 455 of the first round. This was unreal. Yeah, it was, this was kind of uh, the sort of like the apex of the night in terms of the wildness, because up to this point there had been uh, as we're going to get to, it was just sort of crazy bunch of prelims. And then this one, you know, it just sort of took the cake because it went backwards and forwards and, yeah, the way Cara France pulled it off at the end, uh, I don't think anyone saw that coming. And, you know, another exciting flyweight. And the lone victory for the city kickboxing crew because you had uh, Carlo, Carlos Ulberg on the undercard and then Adesanya in the main event. You had, Wait, but all, yes, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. This was the lone victory. Yes. Uh, and let's just quickly read the results here from the undercard. This was uh, the early prelims. I saw four of the six, and you had some really exciting fights here. Um, Tim Elliott defeated Jordan Espinosa by unanimous decision. Kennedy and Enze- Zechaku defeated Carlos Ulberg by knockout at 319 of round two. And Zechaku, Phil. And Zechaku. And Zechaku. Well, you know, this. This was a tremendous uh, fight. This is someone I think people might want to go back and watch. Uh, probably is going to be fight of the night um, because, you know, of the ending to Jan versus Sterling. Um, but uh, crazy back and forth. Uh, good stuff in this one. Sean Brady submitted Jake Matthews at 328 of the third round with an arm triangle. Amanda Limosh defeated... Lavinia Souza by TKO at 339 of the first round. Uh, she looked great in this fight. I mean, my God, just lit her up with kicks and then dropped her with his right hand, was going for the, the guillotine, and then they go back to their feet, and Lemos drops her with a jab and ended this fight with a jab. Yeah, this was this was like this was batting practice here. There, this was so different levels of fighter here. It, it was kind of like uh Worse than a sparring sw- session. Uh, kind of tough to watch. Thankfully, uh, nobody got hurt too bad. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Souza is a former strawweight champion with Invicta, so not not a pushover here. But Limos looked. Uh, yeah, this was a totally one sided fight. As was Euros Medic over Elon Cruz. This ended at a minute forty of the first round. It probably could have ended at forty seconds of the first round. Medic landed this right hand, a flying knee, and then he spent like a minute of ground and pound as referee Mark Smith gave Elon Cruz every single opportunity and then found more opportunity to give him to recover. I mean, it's a tough spot. You don't want to be the referee that stops it too early. And if a fighter is moving, you tend to give them the benefit of the doubt. But this one went really long. Yeah, you have you have to... Yes, they're moving, but you have to see like what's the trajectory of this thing, and it, it wasn't getting any better. And it, it like he moved once, he moved twice, he moves three, four times, and he's still not escaping. That's not enough, especially when you're still getting hammered. Yes, and if you want to relive the commentary, this is in these kinds of situations, Rogan and Cormier just take over, and it's stop the fight, stop the fight. Come on, you well, can stop the fight, stop the so, fight. <laughs> No, this is that's an interesting uh, discussion point because I think you know you could kind of tell that they're sort of saying it under their breath a little bit because they can hear them and they don't want to be saying stop the fight. They don't want to do the Dan Hardy Herb Dean thing, right? Like they don't want to actually be getting involved. So it, it's a tough situation. They're they're right, you know. I mean, I would I, I thought they were right in that situation. It should have been stopped, but. You, they can't be yelling at the ref to stop the fight, and they didn't. So, it, it, but it is weird, like with no audience in there, and it's all quiet. They're reacting. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. hold it against 
announcers for reacting in the moment to what they're seeing. I thought I thought they handled it as best they could, right? They didn't go and pressure it. They didn't say, hey, stop it, stop it. Like, I could understand how they would be tempted to do that in situations. And in the opener, Trevin Jones defeated Mario Batista, who was sporting this incredible mullet. He he looked very much like a, a younger Miguel Torres. Uh, oh, wow. And Trevin Jones won by TKO 47 seconds of the second round after Jones went for like this right uppercut, but then transitioned to a hook and do Batista just crumbled and was finished with hammer fist. So Trevin Jones, uh, a nice win here to open up the card. The first of 15 fights. You know, normally I wouldn't recommend going back and looking at uh, the prelims too much, but uh, this this was really there were some good. good fights. Yeah, even uh, you know we didn't mention too much, but Sean Brady versus Jake Matthews. Sean Brady really emerged as a legit prospect here. Um, it would be worth it just to see him him you know control this fight. Performance of the night bonuses went to Kai Kara France and Euros Medic, and fight of the night to Kennedy and Zechaku versus Carlos Ulberg. All right. Just as I predicted. $50,000 bonuses. And that was UFC 259. Awesome. A pretty good card. Uh, yeah, it was a good card. Uh, unfortunately, the, you know, the, the, it was marred by the Jan uh, versus Sterling situation, but tremendous card. Uh, great performances all around. Uh, do we have time for a call, John? Yes, let's do it. 2.30 in the morning. Let's open the phone lines. All right. John Fury, 316, what's the bottom line on UFC 259? John? I'm here. Well, that John's here. John, I can't hear you. You're not muted on my end, so I'll give you a second to see if you can figure it out, but can't see to... All right, John, maybe you can figure it out, and we'll get somebody else on the line here. We have got... Mike from Blockbuster, Mike. Ahoy, ahoy. How's it going? Good. Hi, How are you? I'm good. Jo- I'm good. Thankfully, we're it's only 1031 p.m. here, so I can actually spend a couple hours trying to unwind and decompress. So I'll make it short and sweet so y'all can get off the line and go to bed. Um, these gladiator sports, man, they're tough to watch sometimes. <laughs> Just the sheer brutality that you got to... There's some things that happen in these sports with the Medici fight and even the knee with Sterling. It's just... They kind of grab you and shake you, and it really makes watching the sport difficult. And I just want to shout out all the people that cover the sport, that watch the sport, that are fans of the sport, and especially the people that sacrifice their bodies for the sport, because that shit was brutal today. And Dana White, R.A. Emanuel, fucking pay these people. Give them more money. Give them more insurance. Send them to the plastic surgeon more. Send them to the neurospecialist more. Well, there you go. Oh, a PSA okay. at, the, at, the, at the, uh-huh. this hour of the night. Right. Thank you very much, Mike, from Mike, Blockbuster. Yeah, he sent that uh, via VHS. All right, I'm going to try you again, John Fury, 316. Uh, I hope you can know. hear me. Yes, we yes. can hear you this okay. time. Thank yes. you. Uh, I thought it was a good card. I agree with you. It was good, except for the uh, Sterling-Yan uh, fight. I- I'm assuming they're going to run it back. I think Sterling has a chance if he slows down that pace. I think he went way too fast in the first round. And I think that's what uh, he was eventually going to lose. So I guess there's that. Uh, I want to talk about the main event here for a second. Okay. Uh, it's kind of disappointed. I really wanted Izzy to win because like Izzy is playing this game with, with him and John are playing this game. And I kind of want to see it finished. I was hoping that because the talk was that if he won this, he was become the first triple champion because you'd go up to heavyweight and challenge John Jones, who would eventually win the title. And like, now I'm hoping that John wins the heavyweight title, moves down, retakes the light heavyweight and then trolls Izzy saying, I just beat the guy you can't beat, come up and get the title. And then we eventually have that fight. What do you think? Like, it's just too many, too, too many moving parts. Like, it's just like, I'm not saying that that fight, can't happen, but it's a lot of things down the line for it to happen. I 100% agree, but you could see the game that they're playing. Like, John moves up, and then Izzy just says, I'm going to take the title. Like, they're playing this back and forth game to try to set up this massive fight. And I think what I think Izzy's goal was, I want to win two titles, let John win a title, and we can have this three title, Matt, whatever, you know, like a 
you know, three championships in one fight would be like, uh, you, like would be awesome. But with Izzy losing, I wonder if there is now a game plan to beat him. Because you saw with the Yawn, as soon as he would, as soon as Yawn would punch and Izzy would do that fade away where he would try to back up, he would take him down. Unless Izzy works on that, that could be the thing that gets people realizing how to beat him. What do you think? John? I think that there's definitely things that can be learned from this fight regarding Adesanya. Like as Phil mentioned, it was not so much just the the size that Blahovich was able to impose on top of him, but it was also just Adesanya's inability to get, get out from his half guard, to be able to, you know, be active off of his back. You really saw Adesanya almost um, kind of just forfeit the position at that point. Like there was not a whole lot of way out of there and that's going to be tricky. Like that has kind of been focused upon is like, you know, for high level wrestlers and Blahovich would not be a high level wrestler, how they are going to deal or deal problems for Adesanya. So I think that you can certainly put into focus. Um, and just going back to your original point, I just think for Jones to make this move up to heavyweight now, I just, I'm not a big fan of the, of making that move all the way up and then coming back down to two Oh five. I just think that that's, I, I really believe that his move up to heavyweight is going to be a permanent one. He's always stated like that is once I go up to heavyweight, that's it. I'm I'm staying there. And it's it's not the same as just moving up a by 10 pounds. Like to be competitive at heavyweight, like you have to put on a significant amount uh, of size that to me it's it's a whole lifestyle change for him that I I can't imagine he's going to unless this guy comes out and heavyweight is a complete disaster for him. I just think that this is where we're likely to see Jones finish his career at, but we will see. All right. Thank you very much for the call, John. And we have one more call. Of course, it wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be a post show if we didn't take a trip down to New Jersey to visit one Brandon from (laughs) New Jersey. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you guys? We're good. We're Uh, glad to hear you. Wonderful, Brandon. What'd you think about the card tonight? Uh, I thought it was great. Um, a couple things I'll get out of here. Um, I I I I thought that uh, Islam Makachev looked tremendous. Uh, I, I I don't know if you guys consider. I, I thought it was a pretty star making performance on on his end. And uh, well, one day when you listen to all of our show, you'll realize <laughs> that many that sadly you and I do agree on many many points. You know what? You t- you you take that. You take that that attitude and you you go let eric know you you let eric know okay absolutely um did you hear the tim elliott espinoza audio when uh, uh, elliott took mm. him down and he was uh accusing espinoza of uh of crazy stuff it was it was kind of weird like i, I don't want to say what he I, called I, him. I did not see the fight so i i don't really okay. know what happened uh, so in the I'll, I'll just summarize it but i won't i won't in the third round Elliot really started to establish himself with the takedown. And at one point he had him in half guard on top and he had his uh, forearm driving into the jaw and throat. And he was, he was making accusations against him about his personal life and things that he did in his personal life. And so I'm not going to repeat them. People, if they want to find out what they are, they can go ahead. But you know, as Cormier said on the broadcast, it was some dark stuff was happening on that cage floor. So. Yeah, that's pretty weird. And one more thing: Who stared at each other more in, in the in in a, in a in a combat sports setting? Rakic and Santos, or or, uh, or Sasaki and uh and Fujita? <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Thank uh, you. Way Thank to alienate you. Phil on this on this Thank call. You. Uh, Thank you. But that's Thank a that's a match we can send Phil to maybe re- review over the next month. Everybody uh, kept you. saying that knee. Everybody kept mentioning the knee from earlier was this pro wrestling knee. So now I got to go look up this pro wrestling knee. So okay, well you can you you can make the uh, the comparison points and see if they uh, were similar <laughs> or not. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, next few cards coming up. We've got uh, Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad next Saturday. The weekend after that, it's Derek Brunson, Kevin Holland headlining the Fight Night card. And the next time Phil and I will be here, UFC 260. 
two title fights, Phil. We've got Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou in a rematch from 2018 for the heavyweight title. And Alexander Volkanovsky versus your man, Brian Ortega, for the featherweight <laughs> title. Uh, that's a, that's uh, two great fights. I mean, the second, the heavyweight uh, rematch, I think everybody's going to be really excited, uh, especially because of the way that we all know that Ngannou can end fights. And then, yeah, Brian Ortega uh, stepping up for another title shot uh, after a, just an amazing performance in his last fight. But, uh, you know, yeah, but he's going up against, you know, Volkanovsky, who's also looked really amazing. And uh, this is a really interesting fight because I think a lot of people want to see that um, Max versus Volkanovsky third fight now after what Max just did. And Ortega, you know, he can play spoiler to that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really, really good uh, event. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that featherweight fight. The main card also has Tyron Woodley. Very important fight for him against Vicente Luque, which is a tough fight for Tyron Woodley. And Sean O'Malley is back taking on Thomas Almeida. Those are the four fights that are listed right now for the main card. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good fight for O'Malley, too, because uh, it's a name, but somebody who's been struggling himself, so. So that is Saturday, March the 27th. That is the next time we will be back. We are live after every UFC pay-per-view here at youtube.com slash post wrestling. But everyone knows that every single UFC card and really 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it all goes down in the discord and the man behind the discord, one of them, at least Phil chair talk, who is the, the evil genius behind the discord. Hey, have you ever vacationed in post Santos? No, I haven't. Okay. I felt I was just going to be walking into something if I said yes, so I, I declined. I have not. Uh, check out the Discord, everybody. Free to join. Go to postwrestling.com. Enter the Discord. On Sunday night, Way and I will be back because there's another pay-per-view. Uh, I don't know if Phil will be watching this, but we will tomorrow? be live for tomorrow night. AEW Revolution is happening. Oh, will- I heard about this. This is the barbed wire thing, right? That's right exploding barbed wire death match. Uh, and it will feature uh, Kenny Omega and John Moxley in the main event. Wayne and I will be live for our double, double ice cap and espresso members of the post wrestling cafe immediately after the pay-per-view. And then the podcast version will be up later that night. So we'll speak to you on Sunday night, Phil, as always, it's been a pleasure. It has been anything you've got to plug anything you want to uh, alert the listenership to. Just, hey, if, 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 you know, just come hang out in the Discord. We've got so many new channels, great topics, not just wrestling, not just MMA. We talk about sports, gaming, movies, music, philosophy, politics. We share pictures of our food, pictures of our pets, pictures of our family. It's a great community of great people hanging out, talking about fights, pop culture, and the deepest things in life. So come hang out with us. John, you've come too. I will make it. I will make it there to the Discord. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for joining us. That's going to wrap up the UFC 259 post show. Thank you for listening.